0: at a very critical and a very important aspect of Let's Go, not just in terms of the capital campaign and our building and the future of the church, but in terms of living a changed life. Because one of the things we realize in moments like this is it is the reality of God's supernatural work. The church is unlike any other organization. Most of you know that intuitively. Um, Many of you know it experientially because you've already had that experience. You may be new to the church and that may be a new experience. And so that's a new thing to get used to and completely understand. But the church exists. And the reason the church exists and the reason the church survives multiple attempts to shut it down throughout generations, um, multiple difficulties, everything from pandemics and plagues, not just in this century, but in prior centuries, um, any number of things that come against the church, the church always survives, not because we're just a resilient group of people, but because the church is a supernatural entity. It is so much more than an organization. We are organized, um, ideally and hopefully. Um, we, we are institutionalized in the sense it is an institute that makes a difference and has a long history and a long timeline of legacy. But at the end of the day, unlike any other institute, any other organization, like any other movement, the church is uniquely Supernatural. And if God doesn't move through the church, and if God isn't a part of the church, then we're really not the distinct entity that he has designed us to be. Because he wants us in personal relationship. He's asking every single one of us to be in a personal relationship with him. And he's asking us to live out that relationship with him in the context of the whole family of God, which becomes the church. And so all of it is about what God can and what God has and what God will do in our lives. So we're going to look at 10 short verses, just a little passage. In fact, it's right at the conclusion of the apostle Paul becoming a follower of Christ. And in that conclusion, um, It's just kind of thrown in there. Luke puts it in there as a piece of historical information. It's kind of a a segue into what's going to happen in chapter ten. And so, if you're just reading through the book of Acts, and as you get there, it would be easy to overlook these small ten verses. But they are hugely critical, and they are hugely critical when we address the issue of the future of our church, because we recognize that what we need and what we want and what must take place is something absolutely supernatural. The story begins like this in Acts chapter 9, verse 32. That's, like I said, at the end of Paul's conversion. And it goes back to Peter. In verse 32, we pick Peter up again. And he's traveling, and Luke just says, from place to place. He also came down to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. In Joppa, there was a disciple, and Luke gives us both translations of her name. In Aramaic it's Tabitha, in Greek is translated Dorcas. She was always doing good works and acts of charity. About that time, she became sick and died. After washing her, they placed her in a room upstairs since Lydda was near Joppa. The disciples heard that Peter was there and sent two men to him who urged him, don't delay in coming with us. Peter got up and went with them. When he arrived, they led him to the room upstairs and all the widows approached him, weeping and showing him the robes and clothes that Dorcas had made while she was with them. In verse 34, the story continues in kind of the third motion of this moment. Peter said to him, Aeneas, jumping back to verse 34, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Some translations will translate that phrase as get ready to eat. And immediately he got up, jump back down to verse 40. I have the advantage of having already kind of sorted this out because we have two stories happening in parallel here. Peter sent them all out of the room. We're back with Tabitha now. He knelt down, prayed, and turning towards the body, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. He gave her his, she gave, he gave her his hand and helped her stand up. He called the saints and widows and presented her alive. The conclusion to both stories that are running in parallel here in verse 35, so all who lived in Lydda and Sharon, saw him referring to Aeneas and turned to the Lord. In verse 42, the conclusion to the Tabitha story, this became known throughout Joppa and many believed in the Lord. Because this is a supernatural moment. This moment, this moment doesn't carry any victory. This moment doesn't carry any success. This moment doesn't carry any real sense of dynamic interaction if you take God out of the equation. Peter does not have the power or the ability or the authority, as we'll see, to heal Aeneas. Peter, even though he's an apostle, even though he's respected, even though though he's one of the most aggressive of personalities in the New Testament, doesn't have the authority to raise somebody from the dead. If God is not a part of this formula, if God is not a part of this story, in a very real sense, we understand as biblical believers, if God is not the one writing the story, there is no story to tell. There is no story to share. There's only need and heartbreak and grief without remedy. And that's what we see first in these two stories. We see the necessity and the desire to be awakened by God if we're to go. The description, and this is coming from a physician, Luke, the author of the book of Acts, is a physician. And so it has that feel of diagnosis as, as well as historical information when he acknowledges that Aeneas was a man who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Eight years he had been incapable of moving out of bed. Eight years he had been incapable of doing the daily tasks that are required. Eight years, even in their culture where begging would be the remedy for that kind of paralyzation, um for eight years he couldn't even do that. He couldn't even beg. He could he could do nothing. He was completely helpless. And that was the trajectory of his future until Peter steps into the picture. And brings with him what was already there, but would now be manifest in a new way, in a new fashion. The presence of God, the redemption of God, the, the healing of God. And the same thing's true in the, the Tabitha story. If you look down at verse 37, the diagnosis, so to speak, is about that time she became sick and died. Just a simple conclusion. Many of us have had those phone calls. She passed away. She's no longer with us. I could scroll through text and give you multiple incidences where those simple words have been given to me as information. He's no longer here. He's graduated. He's gone home. No matter what words we use to describe this event, it is a deeply troubling, deeply sorrowful event. And it's outside of the parameters of God's plan. There is no death. In the Garden of Eden, there's no death in paradise. There's no death in God's creation until we sin, because sin creates death. And now we deal with it every single day. We watch it on the news. We hear about it from our friends. We deal with it in our own families. We deal with loss, and we grieve just as they are grieving. Ironically, in their grief, and grief oftentimes is illogical, they do something that is as non-Jewish as you can possibly get. They take Tabitha's body, and and Luke tells us they cleansed her, they washed her, they placed that body in a room upstairs, which is typically the dining area, also the place that they often prayed. They never put a body. It is forbidden under Jewish law to put a body in that location of the house. It would declare the entire house unclean, and they would have to eat with friends for a period of time until it could be declared clean again. That's not how they handled normal death. And the indication is they're now only after her death becoming aware that Peter is nearby. And so they send instructions. They, they send information urging, asking Peter, come that you sense the urgency in verse 38. Don't delay in coming with us. Coming with us. For what? For what purpose? His original diagnosis hasn't changed. She got sick and she died. She's gone. That's why the church has to embrace the supernatural work of God in its midst. It's not that we're necessarily incapable and it's not that we're not necessarily organized and it's not that we aren't good people who can step in in moments. We can step in in every one of these moments, but the reality is we're in just as much need of awakening or resurrection or healing as anyone else. We can comfort, and we do that. All week long, everyone in this congregation has been praying for people who have gone through surgeries, for people who are going through medical appointments, In fact, if you ever are in a Christian group, if you're new to Christianity and you're just kind of now beginning to experience this, if you're ever in a Christian small group and they ask for a prayer, 95% of the prayer is going to be about health. Because it impacts us so significantly. It used to always bother me a little bit as a new young pastor. Those days have worn off, um, in multiple ways. But it used to always kind of like, why are we always praying for physical health when that's gotta, we gotta go that path anyway. The sooner we get to heaven, the better. It was kind of my theory when I was young. I'm closer. Not quite as eager, but still looking forward to it. It's a weird blend that you have to understand through faith. And and we come. We pray. We're praying right now for people in our church that have lost loved ones. We're praying. Coping and processing ourselves, because in many cases, especially in the case of church, we have two funerals coming up this week and next week that are church members. People that were a vibrant and vital part of our church are people who were prospects and closely related to us. And the loss is real. And we're confused. We're disillusioned. We're making illogical moves like putting the body upstairs and cleaning it up. It's like we, that's we that's not a part of that culture. I mean, it's confusing. It's difficult. It, it has that real sense of, of hopelessness. Bedridden for eight years. She became sick and died. And all the preparation in the world will not change this scenario if God doesn't become a part of it. That doesn't mean you don't do preparation. But I'm going to make a parallel here that may feel like a stretch to some, but it's, I'm going to just be honest and candid, it's not a stretch in my mind. We have spent, the congregation has spent over two decades preparing for this moment. We had effective committees and teams, engineers and architects and real estate agents and people with quality skill sets help determine and purchase the land for the new campus. Determine that what was best and what was the best location. Consultants that walked through the process of t- determining the best and most strategic place to put a new campus. We've understood during this transition and all along there have been new people come on board to help with financial decisions and guide in leadership issues and continue that process. That process began in, in, in full intensity about three and a half years ago when we started working and, and interviewing multiple architects and contractors and determining exactly who our architect would be, who our contractor would be. Again, qualified people with qualified skill sets to do what needs to be done. Everything has been effectively, efficiently, professionally prepared. Even this capital campaign, we knew all along at some point we would step into a capital campaign where we would ask us to participate, for us to be prepared to make a commitment outside of what we would normally do, above and beyond, because all the operations are the same. Um, and so everything that's happening in the budget is just as real as it was a year ago or two decades ago, as it will be two decades from now. We made all the preparation, put all the right pieces in motion, and we decided and we would determine, we would go and we would, as a group, participate. Whether it's a student who made a commitment Wednesday night, as you heard about in the beginning of the service, um, and it may be a small financial matter, but they made commitments. Many of them, I talked to many of them as they were making, Carrie and I visited with many of the students that are our friends and talked to them as they were making commitments. And, and as they were writing on those stakes, their prayer for the future of this church their prayer for their responsibility in the future of this church, their prayer that this would create a new day and a new opportunity so that one in particular, I quote her stake, said, everyone can know God's love and the the being built on the foundation of God's love. And she actually just recently met Christ and is in the process of setting up and scheduling baptism. And she wants everybody else to know that love or whether it is senior adults who have looked and examined and studied this and looked at estate issues and looked at retirement issues. Everybody has been asked to participate and that's all coming to a head. This is the last message. This is the last few words. This is the last five to six minutes. I've got to convince you to participate sacrificially. I know Carrie and I are giving more than we have ever given to any organization or ministry ever in our lives. And we're preparing to do that next week. And we're preparing to do it over the next two years to fund this project and to limit our exposure to any, any debt or outside financing. Because we believe. We believe in this church. We believe in what God's doing here. We believe in this project. We believe in the need. It's obvious to us. It was obvious the first night we stepped on campus. We knew we were coming here. Pastors had warned me in advance of some of the needs in the life of the congregation. It almost seemed somewhat frighteningly Ironic that as we pulled into the parking lot to meet with the search team, there was buzzards sitting on the cross on the steeple. with everything that's been done, with all the hard work and with all the labor, with all the hours, with all the calls to sacrifice, with all of your prayers and your study and your research and looking at your finances and what you can sacrificially do to make this happen in a spectacular way. This is the final moment. Yes, I expect everybody to be here next week. I expect everybody to participate. I expect everybody to turn in a card. It'll confidentially go to the finance director. And on December 3rd, we will be able to announce... What the total pledge, what the total commitment to this project is. And we'll be able to budget going forward knowing that and complete and finish this project. Our contractor tells us in 12 to 15 months after we break ground and begin, the project could be completed. A dream is coming true. It's coming true because yes, we're professional and yes, we're skilled and yes, we're organized and yes, we're bought in and we're sold out. But here's the, here's the one little caveat that bothers me the most. If Jesus doesn't show up next Sunday, most of this will have been expended energy for no good purpose. Jesus has to show up. Bedridden for eight years. Captured and locked in for over 20 years but in many ways from the very beginning in the establishment of the most recent facilities. She became sick and died. Many of you will tell me when I call you this week and I ask you because this is the first time you were with us and you'll respond in some way about how friendly and how happy the church is and, and how great it felt. And you heard Bill and, and Jeanette say that in their testimony this morning, but it's not because we suddenly became good people. We were not that great a people 20 years ago, and we're not going to be a great people 20 years from now. But the difference, what is the difference? What is the difference if you visited the church today versus if you visited 20 years ago, 15 years ago? Is Jesus showed up, and Jesus started changing us. And the more we fell in love with Jesus, the more we fell in love with one another, and the more we looked forward to the future. We can't change bedridden for eight years. We can't change the fact that she became sick and died. But if you look at verse 34 and you look at verse 40, if you underline those words or if you don't write in your Bible, put them into your notes, mark it on the U version notes that are available to you. Jesus Christ heals you. Get up. He knelt down, prayed. Tabitha, get up. There is a necessity and there is a desire and it is a strong desire to be awakened to go. But that is all hope and encouragement based on the authority and the power to be awakened to go. Jesus Christ heals you. Get up. I believe with all my heart Next Sunday is going to be an amazing Sunday. I believe it's a watershed Sunday for the life of our congregation. I believe it's an unbelievable model and example to the youngest members of our congregation who are so significantly, our children and our students, our youngest members are so significantly bought into our church. I see on the horizon a new generation in Gen Z that will bring the church to a new day of obedience and commitment to God and to his causes and to his purposes that will ultimately not just change this church, but they will change this world. And there's just a few of us in older generations that want to leave them the very best tools to do that with. And I believe next Sunday makes all the difference in the world. This is a show-up moment. This is a moment to stand on this hill and not flinch and not hesitate. In fact, it was one of the students who stopped me last week after the message and said, Pastor James, we just have to pray. God can do this. And that's what I want to do right now. Our band's going to come back and they're going to come join me here on the platform. But I am literally going to kneel and pray for us and pray for next week. And I'm going to invite you, and I'm going to encourage you that if you want to, come to the front altar. The side altars are designed to kneel and pray with a brace so guys like me can get back up. You can come to the steps if you're able to do that. You can stay in your seat. This is much like what's going to happen next week. I don't really care how you do it. If you're at home on live stream right now, you guys, if you want to kneel right there where you're watching, if you're at work and you're watching, if you want to bow your head... I don't care how we do it, but we must do it. We want next week to be able to say and to hear God answer, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up. Make your bed. I like translating them both. Make your bed and get ready to eat. Peter knelt down and prayed. Turning towards the body, he said, Tabitha, Get up.